This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Breakup Word, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 150 with Lori Villafane. 150. What a huge number, no? I am so excited. I I really, really, really mean that right now. My heart is just racing. Part of that is because I feel alive again. I had been so sick for a while, so it's nice to know that I made it through. My heart is still beating. It's also beating because I've been waiting to share this episode. So I have many episodes in the queue and I really wanted this one to be the 150th episode because to me it really represents where this podcast has gone, where we're at, the stories that I'm sharing and more significantly the type of people that are coming on to share themselves with us. Lori is a woman who has dissociative identity disorder and something that I feel so touched by and I was so surprised by is that I'm one of the first people that she's shared this story with and my god what an honor for me and what an honor for Thank You Heartbreak and listening to it back my heart was racing because I just feel so fortunate to be in the position that I'm in and to have people like Lori trust me with the private, intimate details in their life and details that they have felt ashamed by for most of their life. So, wow, I I just feel like this is a gift. And if it's any indication of where this podcast is going... I'm here for it. I'm here for the ride. I'm here for the journey. You know, it it hits me often that in order to be in this position as a host, it requires me to become more of a person, to become more developed, to become a better listener, to become someone that asks the better question, to just know more in life, to have a wider life, to have a deeper life, to have more exploration, definitely personal exploration. And listening to this episode back, it it really is on the forefront of my mind of how much I need to keep developing. So there's that. Also, I just have to throw this out there is that I went on my first online date, everyone, 150 episodes in, and I have done it. So I just was listening to the episode back and I I stopped to do this intro and where I stopped was me saying that I've never been an overnight success at anything. And I think that really goes hand in hand with me feeling like even in the dating game is I, well, now in my life, I would say, is that I'm someone that is taking the scenic route back to love. And I know that's not everyone 
Um, that's not what they would want to do. That doesn't sound like uh, the good life. They don't want to be on the scenic route. That simply means that, you know, it, it's a slow crawl back into love, but it's beautiful along the way. And it's been so enriching to me. And one reason why I wanted to do it that is to go on an online date is I hear so many stories about it. I mean, it just is constantly what I'm surrounded by and hearing. And, you know, I kind of wanted my story. I wanted to know what I would be like in these situations. It's it's easy to kind of have your theories and to listen to others, but it's totally different to have your piece of the pie that you can share. And, and just to know for yourself, I think it's important. And it's also important for me not to rush these things. And what I can say now, because I did not rush it, you know, when I started this podcast, I had just gotten out of my last relationship. And so 150 episodes later, here I am. And I will say that like, I just approached this in my way. And part of that was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to use this medium to meet someone and be really specific about the type of person that I would really like to meet, that I'm not meeting somehow. And that is a specific type of person. To be really specific with you, I'll just tell you, I've always wanted to meet a guy in finance, specifically an investment banker. I was just curious. You hear these stereotypes, and I'm not sure I definitely buy into them, and I wanted to know that for myself. And so there was a few other details that I wanted to meet this type of person. I'm not meeting them. I think they might be a little bit harder maybe to meet in New York. And that was the type of person I wanted to meet. And so when that person came into my inbox, I was like, yes. And I'm really happy that I got to meet that type of person last night and not even that type, but even just this person. And it was cool because I was like, because I've waited and because I was specific and because I just, yeah, I wasn't in a rush. I, last night I was around someone that I was actually a fan of. And to me, that's already a great story. That's already a great starting off point. And it makes me feel good about the decisions that I've made over my single life. And it's not what everyone is doing. And there's a ton of pressure. There's a ton of peer pressure. I mean, there's pressure just in the sense of not being able to contribute your story right? Like a lot of people talk about dating. And for so long, I have had nothing to share. My kind of like my joke is that people will be like, so what's up? And I'm like, uh, nothing's coming up for me. I'm drawing a blank. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a lot of gossip, a lot of juicy details to share with anyone. That doesn't mean my life isn't enriching and that I have so much fun around people and I love what I'm doing in my life, but I never necessarily feel like I have like dirt to share. And you've got to do things your way. Maybe you're someone that doesn't need that in your life. And, you know, I, I just want to remind you that don't feel compelled to do anything in your life that you don't feel like you're ready for, that doesn't feel thrilling or doesn't make you feel curious about it. If it doesn't feel like you, don't do it. My advice would be find out the things that are more you and do more of that. And if that doesn't sound like everyone else's story, great, you're rare. Be more rare. So we're seven minutes in. Again, I'm happy to be feeling alive and well. I'm so excited to share my guest with you. Please, please, please write a review, leave a rating, show some love for my guests. 
This isn't about me. This is about the people that I'm getting to bring to me, to myself, into my world, and into our world. Let's celebrate the people that are showing up to share their inner lives with us. Thanks, everyone. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. My name is Lori Villafane. I live in Granbury, Texas, and I'm the author of a psychological thriller called The Other Gloria, which was pretty much me coming out of the closet about mental illness. That sounds like it should be a film, The Other Gloria, my God. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Anyone taking options? Um, what did it feel like writing a thriller and knowing that it was about your life, but you were, I guess, in a sense, sensationalizing it? Uh, yes, I've always been a fan of psychological thrillers. I love anything to do with how our crazy minds work, you know, <laughs> and I hadn't really worked through my issues and it just started out as kind of trying to me work through things. And then I started writing and it, everything just seemed to flow and it turned into this psychological thriller and then I wanted to share it with everyone. <laughs> Were you nervous to share it with anyone for them to think, oh my God, this is the extent of the mental illness? Oh, yes. Uh, I was so nervous and I still am a bit um, because I did, um, I did tell everyone that I suffer from dissociative disorder and this is the first time I've come out with that. And oh, it was nerve wracking <laughs> the first time. Who was like the hardest person to open up to about it? Is it strangers? Is it the other parents that your kids go to school with? Or is it family members? Who is it really? Strangers. Strangers. I'm pretty open with my family and they've known, but I've always had this thing where I put on this mask of normalcy when I walk out the door every day. Yeah. Yes, we're all on a stage, you know. And uh, taking that mask off was just frightening. I guess I want to understand, what is dissociative identity disorder? Well, basically, um, it's a defense mechanism that usually happens in childhood due to abuse. The brain dissociates or separates itself. And sometimes in dissociative identity disorder, you can have different personalities. And the personalities may know each other and they may not. In my case, I do not really know the other side of me. My family knows the other side of me, but I don't. And I don't have her memories. And I would say that's my heartbreak because I do not remember my daughters growing up because I was in an abusive relationship and I was dissociated so much of the time. Mm. It reminds me of that film that came out like three years ago, putting that out there because people might be able to picture a little bit more, though, of course, this was sensationalized as well. But it was about that right. man that took that young girl. Do you remember that? And he had multiple personalities. And, you know, the girl that was taken could see all the different ones, but he mm -hmm. had no clue about who the other sides of himself were. I wish I could. Oh, oh I think I do remember that. I didn't so good. I remember the trailer, though. You never saw it? No, I didn't see it. But I do remember the trailer. Well, yeah, they very sensationalized. It has been sensationalized a lot in Hollywood. Everything is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in real life, it is a very strange disorder. 
in a sense, is it like you black out and so hours of your life, a single day can go by and you come to and say, what happened to the time or what is the feeling when you come back? When I come back, it's usually a, a slow process and, and usually overnight, I'll wake up in the morning. Somehow I know what time it is. I know what day it is. I know all of that, but I don't have the memories that I made during the time I was gone. And um, at work, fortunately, I learned to take a lot of notes every day. So when I go back to work and I don't remember, (laughs) just look it up. And being in um, accounting, it's easy to pretty much keep notes and keep track of things. Right. It's numbers. Right. Is it a sense of shame? not knowing kind of where you left off or not knowing how you acted? Is there this feeling like I want to check in with the people I was just around to find out about myself? Or at this point, have you let go of maybe a curiosity of that? I am a bit ashamed. Yeah. Because the other side of me is so opposite of me. I'm very emotional, caring. I I just go out of my way for other people. And the other side of me is more inside and stoic and we're just going to get things done. And, you know, we're just not going to talk and that kind of thing. Just pretty much let's get things done. And like militant. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So it's kind of like a more severe detached way of going about it. Right. You're still leading your life. It's not like you're backed into a corner. You're still there showing up. Yes, and the other part actually knows me, so she she comes in seamlessly. Where I don't, when I come back, I'm not aware. Can I ask you a strange question? Oh, um, sure. Have you ever videotaped that part of yourself so you could see? You know, the very strange thing is I've never videotaped myself or nobody's ever videotaped me in my life. Has that been something that you've asked them not to do? Yes. Wow. Why? Uh, you know, you are just now pointing out probably the reason why. I avoid cameras at all costs. I just, I, I really, I don't know for sure. It's a phobia, I guess. Right. I think that's probably the word. I can imagine like something that you can't escape and then seeing it, it might amplify that personality, just the fear of it. Yeah, I think so. I think I don't care for her. Yeah. So I really don't want to see that. And my husband doesn't like her either. Mm. He tries to get me back. What he'll do is he'll pick and pick and pick on me. And when I come out, I'm raging. And then all of a sudden, I'm just aware, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to yell at you. What? And then I'm like, what just happened? And I finally started to realize that's what he was doing. I was in my dissociated state. He would pick me out of it and I would just come out in a rage. Now, did he do a lot of reading or research or, you know, support groups to understand that there was a way of exciting, for lack of a better word, you out of it? Uh, No, no reading, but we did go to counseling together and he's so sweet. Yeah. He has done everything the counselor has suggested. And, um, One of my triggers was an angry male figure. So he doesn't ever blow up around me. He'll go out in the garage and blow up. (laughs) (laughs) That's his man cave, the garage. That's his man cave. 
And I don't go out there because it's usually (laughs) a lot of cuss words. (laughs) What has he shown you from this about unconditional love? Just, I didn't even realize this existed. I was in such a volatile, unhealthy relationship before. And, you know, my parents have been married for 60 years, but still it's not a relationship that's, I guess none are perfect, but it's kind of not one I would want to be in. Um, But my husband has really shown me what what true love and sacrifice is. Mm. Did you think that you were getting that with your first marriage? No, I actually didn't want to get married. I was married at 16. Oh, wow. And um, I did not want to marry him. But he was such a manipulator, a master manipulator. And since I have this disorder, there are people that kind of prey on people that are not completely well. And I think I was like a magnet to him because he could just control me. I don't know where I was going with that now. <laughs> well, I have plenty of questions about it. I mean, was there something that happened to him that you found out in his childhood that would make him want to control someone so desperately like that? I believe I know what happened to him, but he would never admit it. Right. Everything to him had to be perfect, and he was perfect. And uh, he would never admit to any insecurities or anything like that. He did not have control over a lot of his life when he was a child. And so as an adult, I'm sure that's why he had to have control over everything. Right, totally. My dad is a perfectionist. Growing up, I always thought like, you know, if we spill coffee, you know, it's not like he goes into a blind rage, nothing like that. It was just more of like, to this day, if we spill a bit of coffee, and of course, when you're nervous about something, you spill coffee, you do the very thing you're afraid of doing. It's more of just like, how could my daughter spill coffee? It's like one of oh. the, it's like that feeling, you know? So even yeah. young until this day was like this sense of, you know, walking on eggshells a bit. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So I can't imagine a harsher idea of that, how as growing up in your household, there would be one, the tendency to walk on eggshells around their father, talking about your children. But then also this fear that when you dissociate, what that represents, or they kind of lose access to you. Because I know for me that I always kind of reach to my mom to make things more normal. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would feel like as a kid growing up, there's this fear of like the control of the father and the perfectionism, and then losing access to you when you dissociate. Did they ever talk about that, or is that how they felt? Oh, my children. Yeah. They really didn't understand what was going on until I just, when they were teenagers, I finally told them. Well, I finally told them I was having a problem. I didn't know at the time I had dissociative disorder. Oh, you didn't? No, I didn't know until I was 45. Oh my God. But you're saying that it developed because of your young years or during your young years? Because of abuse in my childhood. Yeah. Um, I was abused by a family acquaintance. I was abused repeatedly. So from what I understand is our young minds are forming. There's a lot of plasticity there and uh, we're able to create a safe space for ourselves. I didn't know so much of this until I was in counseling and I actually dissociated in front of the counselor. I just started to say, I'm really not feeling good. And I just started feeling like I was going to pass out. He said, what are you feeling? And 
I said, well, I feel like I'm up in the corner of the ceiling and I feel like I just want to go away. I don't want to be here. He explained to me what was happening. I just never knew that before. Did it give you a sense of relief to know or was it scarier to know? It is a relief to finally have. It's like um, you've got this physical problem. It's giving you so much trouble and you finally get a diagnosis for it. It's a relief. Finally, no, there's a name for it. Yeah. Really going crazy that it is something that can be treated. It's not as scary for me now. I know what's going on. When you realize that it was because of something that had happened to you when you were young, how do you like reconcile that and not have this resentment and like this like blind rage toward this family figure? Um, I'm a very forgiving person. I don't carry a lot of resentment for anyone. Um, I guess that's just how I am. Probably a gift, right? I think so, because resentment is so hard. It's hard on me if I, you know, I do resent for a little bit if someone really does me wrong, but it's hard to hold on to and it it just eats you up. And uh, I can't live like that. I just, I have to forgive. I'm just curious about those that were abused as a young child. You know, you just hear more and more stories like this and how Mm -hmm. often it is a family acquaintance. They say that the majority of the time, that's the case. But is it like this feeling like, because it's a family acquaintance, is there this feeling like my family didn't take care of me? Or do you realize that, and every situation is different, but Mm -hmm. is there this realization like, oh my God, my family was blind and duped as well, just like I was? They actually covered it up. Um, So yeah, I do have that feeling because of the cover up. What is the deal with the cover-up? You know, why do we go out of our way to protect people? Is it our own fear of knowing who these people are that are close to us? Like, is it our own kind of fright and denial about the very people that are close to us can be sick? I think I grew up in a very different time when things like this weren't talked about. Yeah. Um, in the 60s. Yeah. And you just, uh, you weren't involved in anything like this and you didn't talk about anything like this. It's nothing that you would ever admit to back then. You just, you know, you cover it up and you go on and, but they did make sure it didn't happen again. Mm, I got it. So interesting that like you've seen the evolution, right? Like in the 60s, no one speaks about something. They act like it doesn't exist. There's no conversations about it around the table. No one's trying to seek out you know, guidance for their child. And you've witnessed this evolution where there's now so much confession. You know, there's reality yes. TV. Everyone has a memoir. What does that yes. feel like to witness that transformation within you know, decades? Well, you know, it's not really that long ago that we still weren't talking about it. And I think what's happening lately has helped me to be able to come out, you know, about things that have happened and knowing I shouldn't be ashamed of it, that I can talk about it. It has helped to be able to have a conversation about it. So I'm grateful to all those women. I especially think of gymnastics. That really brought my mind to it, you know, what was going on with with the Gymnastics Association. They were so brave to come out about it. And I thought, wow, if these 
young people can be so brave, then I should be able to do that too. I was watching old clips from Oprah yesterday, and there was a a wife that her ex-husband came into the house while she was out walking with a friend and killed all of her, I think it was four children and himself. Uh, and they put up the 911 and like the scream is just primal. And she went on Oprah to discuss it. And Oprah knew, she was saying that in that moment, she knew, she could just feel it, that other people around listening that day were not going to take their life because they witnessed this woman still living. And it turned out that multiple people did uh, write to Oprah saying that they didn't take their life. So Oprah did a special where the woman came back and other people came on saying that they saw her that day and they had planned to take their life and yet stayed around to still be a mother to their children. And I guess where I was going with it is hearing you, the fact that you were even able to see younger people have a story that wasn't the same as yours, but it gave you courage to speak. Just the power of a narrative that doesn't have to match at all. Right. But it gives people the courage. This one woman that was telling this woman that she saved her life, she was like, nothing in my life has really changed. You know, the circumstances haven't changed. I just have decided to stay here. And every day my children and I talk about you And thank you for that. You don't realize that you're like a member of our family now. And that was what was so amazing to me too. It wasn't saying that this woman, she was this huge catalyst for this woman to go out and change her life. It just saved her life. It kept her here. Right, right, right. I I can relate to that so much. I love that they're spreading the light like this because there are so many people that are depressed and they don't know what to do. They don't know even who to talk to. You know, you should probably see a counselor, but that doesn't even always work. And you're sitting here in despair and you see something like that on TV and you think, well, wow, if she can live through that, I can, I can get help and, and try to take care of my problems. It's amazing to me that there's moments in life when you hear someone else's story and you judge yourself more, kind of like the whole, if she can do it, then you become really hard on yourself and I should have been able to do it. It can go either way, and yet there's something that happens with certain stories that empower us to to not judge ourselves as harshly. Yes. That's what's amazing, because I think it can go either way. You can either hear it and be harder on yourself, or you can hear it and be lighter on yourself. Yes, I believe that that's true. Yeah. I have felt both ways. Mm. What do you think it was about the time when you were harder and the time that you were more forgiving? I think I wasn't as far along as I am now. Uh, I was more in the depression. Yeah. That was associated with everything else that had gone on in my life. And um, I was just thinking, well, look at what they've gone through. And I can't even get through a, a day. Yes. Without, you know, wanting to shoot myself. But, you know, a lot of times there stories like that have kept me going. And I'm so glad because I have such a wonderful life today. Yeah, I want you to talk about that because even thing with myself, it's like I've never felt like an overnight success at anything. And, you know, a lot of people are doing this like 10-year challenge, you know, 2020, where were you about in 2010? And I think about a lot of my life, I've felt like things don't look that different on the outside. Like, I don't think people really peering in would be like, oh, her life looks dramatically different. 
but I feel dramatically different. Therefore, I feel differently in my life in a dramatic way. But it took a lot of time, a lot yes. of time. And a lot of people, I, I don't think they think they'd be willing to put 10 years in to get a good life on the other end. And I right. think you, you would probably be someone that would say it's taken a while to come into a, a life that you have so much satisfaction from. Yes. And I think if someone had told me how long it was going to take, it's given up right then. (laughs) Exactly. You would never be, none of us realize 10 years can flash by like this. Oh, it's crazy. I think you're right. If someone told us how long, we'd be like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't stick around for that long. Right. I know that's exactly, I would be so overwhelmed. It would just seem like not even worth it. And because I'm like you, things don't come easily to me. And it's a process. And I, you know, here I am at 58 and I'm still processing. So it's uh, right. I think that like, in a way, it's like the point is life doesn't become good because you stop processing. Like the day you stop processing is the day that you've arrived. It's almost like, I guess you've probably found things in your life, people in your life, practices in your life to make it easier and to make it more enjoyable as you process. That's a good way to put it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like that. Definitely. Uh, one thing that having amnesia does for you is you really appreciate the memories that you do have and the memories that you create every day that you get to keep. Mm. And uh, it's just so wonderful to me. I'm getting to know my daughters as adults, or I have been for a while. And now we all live in the same town and we can get together and we're kind of pals now. And <laughs> it's, it's wonderful getting to know them. As adults. Yes. yes. I feel like there's no, um, there's probably no greater compliment as a mom or a parent of any kind than to have children that want to be your friend when they're adults. Yeah. Having children that choose you. So many people talk about as they get older, that family doesn't feel like a choice when you're young, but can be a choice as you get older. You could choose friends or family. So to have kids that are choosing you now is probably makes you feel really good about yourself. Especially what they lived through along with me and that they don't resent me. Yeah. And we can laugh and we can cry about it and they can fill me in on things that I missed and... It is wonderful, and it it is such a good feeling to know that they want to be my friend. Oh, I love that. You told me that your house burned down in a fire, a forest fire? Yes. Um, When I left my ex-husband, I left with almost nothing, but I had some pictures of their childhood. And when my house burned down in the forest fire, um, the pictures burned with them, so Thankfully, my mom has some pictures, but I don't have the pictures of the memories that I made with them. And so I like to think of it as when we're talking, I make these snapshots in my head, like I have these pictures in my head. I think out of everything I lost, that's what I miss. Especially because you were saying that you don't like taking pictures of yourself or having pictures taken of you. Right. (laughs) But I think that like, that's what you miss the most that was lost were the pictures. And I know you're saying that like of your children, but even of you guys together, that's interesting. That's true. And I am just realizing just as you've said that, how selfish that is of me. Why do you think it's selfish? Somebody's trying to take my picture. 
that just never dawned on me before. I mean, I'm glad that you're having that insight because I'm such a nostalgic person for so much of my life. You know, I saw my dad with a camera. I always had a camera and I love going back over pictures. I hate losing pictures. And I think about pictures, just like you're saying how for you talking about it gives you that snapshot. For a lot of people, seeing a picture gives them a memory that they can access. So they start creating a narrative around it. And I think that, you know, just like when someone passes away, you want one more moment with them. Sometimes if someone passes away, seeing a picture enables you to feel like you're in that moment. So by giving your family that, they could have that in the future. Especially now that things are great. You imagine a picture of you guys laughing together on a porch. Yes. You know, from this moment on, I am going to work on that. I can see how, oh my gosh, that is such a bad thing that I won't let them have a picture of me. I'm sure looking at you now, they are so proud. And always, they know you. And, you know, a lot of people... They just want to look at their parents. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to have that, and I think, you know, knowing that you never took your life, having a picture of you kind of cements the fact that you're here, that that's a choice that you've been brave enough and courageous to make for yourself and for them. I'm so thankful to have made it this far. I just saw something really funny. What? My husband was trying to sneak a picture and I caught him and I turned around. So he took a picture of my butt. And nice. <laughs> <laughs> he won't delete it. Oh so he God. kind of got back at me. I frustrate oh. him. That's a good place to start with you from behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, won't, he won't delete that picture. So <laughs> that, that's a, a sign of his frustration with me. Right. Right. Well, maybe one day you guys will take a selfie, one of the infamous selfies of our generation. You know, actually, I probably should set up a um, a portrait. Yes. Never had a portrait made. We, uh, the wedding pictures were the closest thing. And then that's what, for me, was so hard about the wedding was the photographer. Yeah. What's interesting about photographs is, because for me, it's like, I've had an eating disorder before. So seeing like, though I've always taken photographs, even recently this week, there was this guy on the street that was taking photographs of me. And I was so triggered when he sent me these photographs. I was like, I look huge. I felt like I just looked like I'd gained all this weight. I mean, it really triggered me. And in a way, and I think a lot of times it's like photography can feel so invasive when you feel like you don't like yourself in this moment. But what I have found Mm -hmm. is that years later or whatever, you look back and you're like with such admiration, like, oh my God, I didn't even see myself. I didn't even know myself. And it gives you this insight so much in our life. In the moments that we have, we're really not seeing ourselves accurately. And so sometimes like photographs are like a gift for your future self to see yourself, but it's not necessarily a gift for this moment, right? And when you get to this age, you're thinking, wow, I wish I had pictures of when I was younger because... I looked so much better. <laughs> exactly, right? I love looking at pictures of my parents. I'm just like, everyone looked so mature back then. Yeah. What was the deal with that? Why did you guys all look like you were so much more mature in high school? I mean, you probably were. Like- I don't know, but I remember when I was little and my parents had to have been about 35. I thought they were so old. 
And now my kids are in their 30s and I'm thinking, they're so young. No, I mean, it's crazy. About at 35, you had parents, right? And I'm getting to 35 and I want nothing more to, to be a parent. And I've always felt that I, way, but I've never prioritized the process to getting there. You know what I'm saying? Like if something is that important to me, I never had a step-by-step guide that I would get there by this point. And at 32, I actually feel for the first time, do I need to start planning? Do I actually need to consider freezing my eggs somehow, which I can't even believe I am saying out loud that I'm... Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, and you know, actually in your 30s, I would say I had my children in my 20s and I feel I was not mature enough. The 30s are a great time to have children. I mean, that's great to hear because I, I think for so long, maybe I've justified or I think it was the right move was that I wasn't prepared to have children when I was in my 20s. It's yeah. very mature to know that. Yeah. Because I think about a lot how it can be a choice in many ways it is to have a child and you're choosing that the environment that they're going to grow up in and that is going right. to shape and predetermine so much. And if I can have right. a better hand... And what that is. Wow, you're, you are on the right path. I mean, that's why I'm always so fascinated about talking to people about the silver lining and things that didn't go right. Because I think for me that I've always thought so deeply about who I would have a child with and, <clears throat> and what that would do to them. Like what a big deal that was. Um, but, you know, you don't always know. You know, you don't always, you know, like I could try to make the best decisions and that still doesn't mean that I won't end up with a divorce, even though I can't fathom that. So for people that have gone through that, how can you forgive yourself for that? And how can it's, how can you see that it's created more meaning maybe in your child's life or in your life that it was still the braver choice to make was to leave something behind, The thing with me is I was of the mind that my children needed two parents. So I waited and waited. And in hindsight, I did them a disservice. Mm. And growing up in such a volatile household, my younger daughter used to beg me not to leave her dad because she knew she was very intuitive and she knew what was in my heart. And, um, now she says, I wish I hadn't done that, mom, because it would have been so much better on all of us. And I think any relationship you take away life lessons from is in a way a good relationship. Yes, yes. And um, I learned so many life lessons. And when I met my soulmate, he was on the same path I was, mm. he was an abusive relationship. And we would not have melded together so well if we had not had the same experience. Hmm. I'm not saying that being abused is good, but the experience is part of who you are. It helps you grow into, you know, I'm still not saying that right because abuse is never good, but. uh, No, but you see how accepting and acknowledging it and getting out when you did at least is the very thing that relates you to your soulmate and provides a sense of comfort and probably a loyalty that you have toward each other and a level of acceptance. And especially around something that is shame-based and fear-based, 
to have someone that understands it is much easier because you actually feel like maybe sometimes the unsaid doesn't have to be said because someone understands it or the things you want to say can actually be expressed because someone understands it. Right. I think if I had married my high school sweetheart and we were still married today, I wouldn't have been as appreciative as I should be. I am so appreciative. I thank God every day for my husband. We could lose everything as long as I have him and as long as I have my girls and my grandchildren, we're fine. Wow. A lot of people do not feel that way, by the way. A lot of people would not want to lose their stuff. That's huge that you can say that. Well, actually, in the forest fire, I lost almost everything. I know. But I don't, I don't care because I have what's important. I think what's so amazing, I mean, yes, they're people, so they're like tangible things that you wouldn't want to lose. But yet, really, what's between you guys, I'm just so fascinated by this sense that it's invisible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, this connection that I cannot describe. I had never thought I would ever feel because I didn't know it existed. And I'm just tearing up thinking about it. <laughs> I hate this word, but did you feel like you didn't deserve it before you had it? Oh, yeah. Before I had it, I didn't feel deserving. But when I got it, I started to feel like I deserved it. Like an aha, like almost like, of course, this is meant for me. Of course, this is mine. Right. But you are right. Before I had it, I didn't think I, I was worth anything. I had been beaten down so much. What has it been like for your parents? Have they seen you with your recent husband? Oh, they love him more than they. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, they think he's just hung the moon. What is the difference between your children seeing you in love and your parents seeing you in love? Um, Don't think my children can appreciate it as much because of age and because of, I I think my parents, it's just how you feel for your children is indescribable. And what you want for your children is for them to have the best life in the world. What I have with my husband and my parents see that. And so it's like a feeling as a parent that you can't, until you get to that point, you can't experience. So I guess that's the difference in my children seeing me in love. They're happy for me, but not in such a deep way, I don't think. God, that's fascinating. It's so special that your parents are getting to see it, really. Yes. And my dad, especially uh, because he introduced me to my ex-husband. Oh, gosh. So he feels so much guilt. Oh, my gosh. Over that. And um, so he especially is happy. Oh, Now, has that been a lot of conversations that you've had with your father about his guilt, or is it just something that you've been able to sense? Uh, My dad is not a man of words. Right. Going back to, like, the different generations. (laughs) Right, right. Right. Uh, But he recently had surgery for cancer. And after the surgery, we were in the hospital room, and he teared up and started apologizing to me for introducing me to my ex. And I said, dad, don't even worry about it. I wouldn't be who I am. And I love who I am. Wow. He probably started hysterically crying. Sometimes your parents have to go under 
and then come out with anesthesia. My dad went into surgery and he was just hysterical and so sensitive for weeks. Yeah. Um, Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. But it's also just so wonderful that you can, without even a beat going, like you can say that back with such conviction. Don't even worry about it. I wouldn't be who I am. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I do not. I never have blamed him. I never have had any any ill feelings toward him for introducing us. How could he have known? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he was uh, he was such a master at this disguise that he put onto the world. For sure. And someone that's controlling probably looked like they would have been, you know, the greatest provider, you know, but would have been looking out for you. You know, a perfectionist would have wanted to give you the perfect life. Probably the best pitch there was to a father. Oh, I mean, he was good. (laughs) He was very uh, good at fooling everyone. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, most times that's the way they are. Yeah, not to you know have empathy for them or anything, but just the amount that someone like that is fooling themselves. Like they have to feel, feel caged in by their own behavior. I see the life that he's made for himself and I feel sorry for him. It's crazy, but I feel sorry for him. Well, we know you're a very forgiving person, <laughs> so. My family thinks I'm crazy for feeling that way, but I do. But I feel like it enables you to have like a better flow in life. And they say that when you look back and, you know, with judgment or animosity, there's a lot of resistance. It's a blockage. So the fact Mm -hmm. that you can look back and feel bad for him, I mean, it allows you to move past him, move over him. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart that it's helped me move past it. I mean, if I had still been hanging on to that, I can't even imagine. But uh, I'm glad God gave me the ability to let go. I like that you see that it was something that God gave you. He's like, you're going to deal with this, but this is a gift, a talent that's going to reward you a lot in life. And a lot of people never get this. They never understand how to let go. Yeah. And I would say at this point in my life that if you can learn that, you've given yourself a wonderful gift. Mm. I coined this word breakup word, and I'm curious what that word might mean to you. Breakup word. Oh, I feel like I'm shooting to the moon <laughs> since it was liftoff time. Mm. And for me to live my life, I like that breakup word. I've gone nowhere but up. Yeah, I like the lift off. That's really good. No one has said that before. Just thought of a rocket, you know, just shoot guy. (laughs) That's good. Rocket fuel. It's a hard, hard thing to do to break up. It's so wrenching and difficult and it's traumatizing. But then once it's done, you have so many possibilities. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting about what you just said is that it's traumatizing. And I think that a lot of us anticipate the trauma and that what's, that's what keeps us there. And yet the cycle of even, not even a, an abusive cycle, but the cycle of being in something that feels like it's breaking our heart can be abusive to ourselves, right? For you to know trauma and to choose to potentially re-traumatize yourself in a certain way by getting out. I mean, that's such a brave thing for you to do. Well, I don't feel like a brave person, but thank you for saying that. (laughs) You don't feel like a brave person. I, 
I'm just... Uh, Listen, you're not going through the motions in life. So I think because of that, it shows your bravery. You know, you're not on autopilot in your life. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. Thank you so much for opening up. I know that I came like, you know, guns blazing with these questions. Oh, no, it's I didn't great. even have any questions in front of me, but I just thank you for letting me lead with a curiosity that could seem, you know, invasive in a way. I mean, thank you for Oh, that. no. No, I don't feel like you were invasive at all. Um, I'm at the point where I'm ready to talk about it, and you're one of the first, so. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, my God. You're, you're one of the first that I've really opened up to, so thank you for that. Well, Oprah is my muse, my one and only muse, and I know I told you I was watching her yesterday, but I'm sure that she would be someone that would want to talk to you, that would be amazed by you as well. So for a lot of us out there, I think it's a real privilege to be able to talk to someone like you. And you know, like you said, when you've heard certain stories and it gives you courage, like listening to you, it feels like a loving conversation. And ah, thank you. It's a difficult conversation, but it felt like a loving conversation. So. Oh, thank you. I felt, I felt so comfortable talking to you. And, you know, I was afraid, a little bit afraid because I was listening to your podcast and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit starstruck with Chelsea. <laughs> No way. (laughs) How is this going to (laughs) go? Easily, right? Uh, Yes, you're very easy to talk to. Thank you for that. No, thank you. Tell my audience where they can find you. They can find me at um, theothergloria.com slash book. And I'm always on Instagram at L.A. Villafane Writer. Always hanging out on Instagram. God, I got to get back there. I don't know if it was a good choice leaving it behind for so long. Because I'm so obsessed with pictures and documentation, Mm -hmm. I never thought I could leave it behind, but I got to get back. I'm glad you're hanging out there. I'm Um, in the Bookstagram community, and uh, what a community. Oh, how great. They're so wonderful. Nice. Hey, congratulations for putting pen to paper. It was very healing, very scary, and... The response I've gotten has been so overwhelming. I just want to cry. Do it. I remember at a certain point, you know, I used to always be crying just out of so much pain all the time. And then it hit me like, wow, I still cry a lot, but rarely because things are bad. You know, when you get to this point where you're overwhelmed in the best of ways. And oh, you're just, yes. Yes, I understand you. Well, enjoy your daughter's. And enjoy your love. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at BreakUpward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D, dot com. 
And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.